Welcome back to Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we have short discussions on big ideas in healthcare. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and with me as ever is Dr. Ryan LaRanger. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about autoimmune diseases. By definition, an autoimmune disease is an unfortunate scenario in which your immune system attacks the body. Some of the most common autoimmune diseases are type 1 diabetes, MS, lupus, IBS, arthritis, and sadly, many more. Ryan, can you help us break down what's happening in a patient with an autoimmune disease? I mean, so uh, it's somewhat personal uh, and not personal to me, thank goodness, um, but it's more personal in terms of uh, every patient sort of experiences these diseases a little bit differently. But at a high level, you can think of it in terms of a uh, patient's immune system has started recognizing certain elements of self as something to be attacked. And the element of self is often what determines the disease that you're experiencing, right? So arthritis, you're experiencing this in your joints. Um, often these are restricted to cell types because there, does, there is a disorder in either a local element of the inflammatory cascade or in recognition of self versus non-self for a particular cell type. Uh, before I go into more specifics, does that make sense? Yeah. Could you actually go back to what you started to mention about inflammation? Uh, I think it sounds like that's a, a big part of the autoimmune disease area. Can you expand on what you meant by inflammation? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um <laughs> There's a slight tangent here. Uh, this is part of why when you get stressed, your immune system goes down uh, in part. You know, it's this idea of the more inflammation there is, the more your immune system is in a heightened state, right? And, uh, you know, it's when you get really stressed, what can happen is your immune system actually gets suppressed, which is problematic. But what can happen locally in regions is you have um, TGF beta is sort of this classic inflammatory cascade protein where um, if you get too much of it, it starts what you can think of as a local forward feedback loop where it's the more inflammation you have, the more inflammation is triggered, the more T cells are told to sort of come in and they're told something is wrong somewhere here there may not be anything for them to attack. So they attack something that they otherwise might not. Got it. To compare it to like war times, it's a, a machine gun perhaps in many, <laughs> many directions without necessarily a lot of purpose and perhaps taking on some friendly fire. Is that what you're kind of referring to? Kind of. Yeah, absolutely. So it's these kinds of relationships in biology, they're all probability based, right? Any control mechanism in biology is for some that for some value or another, it's probability controlled. So, you know, it's if a cell like a T cell normally wouldn't attack a self cell, if you like, but there's a probability of it, the more of those collisions you have, the more of a chance of that occurring. And with a lot of inflammation, you have a lot of these collisions, which can lead to uh, autoimmune disorder. Now, having that disease means you might not have some of those protections, which prevent this from occurring in a particular cell type. 
So then why don't we talk a little bit about some of those protections? You know, are there ways to prevent or catch autoimmune diseases early, maybe with, you know, predictive analytics or algorithms? Let's talk about that. So traditionally, this has been very hard to do, uh, honestly, for two reasons. One of them is that this is a very complex disease. Um, there aren't very many cases where you have a single gene or a single mutation that's wholly driving it, right? So the classic one gene, one disease type thinking just does not work. Um, and so, you know, that makes it really complex. The other challenge is that there are a series of what I would call good enough drugs for many autoimmune disorders. And uh, the populations aren't that big, right? If you have an autoimmune disorder, a steroid or an immunosuppressant, it won't cure you, but it will reduce the symptoms, right? And that's an important thing from a drug development perspective. Did you have a thought there? Well, so it sounds like it's really more about managing and, and treating and keeping people comfortable as opposed to the root cause. The root cause treatment is something that's still nascent and under discovery. Is that what I'm hearing? So uh, in the scientific process, there's a kind of activation energy you can think about, right? Where if there's a really high, <laughs> actually COVID's a great example of this. COVID, there was a really, really high demand for a cure now right? There was no existing therapy. It affected a ton of people. And so uh, a number of scientific organizations really pulled out all the stops to get there. If you have something that it's an autoimmune disorder, um, autoimmune disorders are, um, thank goodness, more rare, are quite rare, generally speaking, aside from some that are not really life-threatening. And there are already some drugs which treat uh, autoimmune disorders to some degree. They're far from perfect. And so the challenge often is like, if I'm a drug company, I have to think, do I want to spend the 10 years and a billion dollars it takes to find a drug when I don't even know what the genetic drivers are? Now, this is where artificial intelligence and machine learning become incredibly important because it used to be that the prospect of finding genetic drivers on a person by person basis for an autoimmune disorder was incredibly daunting, right? Ridiculously so. But with the uh, decreased cost to sequence, which has been going down at the rate that, you know, the number of processors you could put on a chip used to go up, with that and advances in machine learning to allow us to draw the difference between correlation and causation in diseases, in some of these diseases, you're getting to a point where you can think of the activation energy is lower. It's easier to make these drugs because we are finding hypothesized targets. And the other important thing is we're finally getting to the point where we're finding subpopulations of people with these autoimmune disorders. Uh, let me explain that in a moment, but just, do you have any questions as a paradigm? Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Please continue. Awesome. Great. So um, there's an old joke in, I think it's the show house. Is it lupus? And the answer is generally it's lupus. I, I may have got that completely backwards, but you get, you get the idea. <laughs> okay. The thing that makes lupus challenging uh, as a disorder, right? Is that five people may have lupus, 
but may show dramatically different symptoms, right? The reason why is because they, while they all have lupus, I'm using quotation marks there, um, they may all have very different mechanisms which result in the same thing, which we are calling lupus. In that environment, drug development's a nightmare. But when you get to the point where you can say, here's what genetic drivers here are the subpopulations of these people. Here are the mechanistic drivers for disease for those individuals. Suddenly, drug development becomes something that's much more plausible. And so instead of relying on blanket immunosuppression via you know, steroid application, you can make something that is more targeted and has fewer side effects at a lower cost. So that brings you back to kind of the, the personalized element of this. Precisely. So that's kind of full circle where, you know, a blanket treatment isn't necessarily possible because the way these conditions present themselves are unique to somebody's genome. Have I gotten that so right? A blanket, a blanket treatment, and this is part of what makes drug development so hard. A blanket treatment is possible. It's just not great. Uh, it, it's good it is not as good as it could be for the and individual. Now that the, and now that the cost of drug development is starting to go down because we finally have the tools to really determine what are these subpopulations and what are their drivers. Now you're at a point where small, uh, small biotech, small startups can engage in drug development or recycling of old drugs and determine what drug will work best for these individuals with the fewest side effects? You know, then this, and this is a whole other conversation we can have moving forward, but it's sort of this whole drug repurposing thing, right? Where there are a lot of drugs that looked really promising that failed in phase two or phase three trials. And it might not have been because it was a bad drug. It might have been because the drug was being used on inappropriate patient populations and that it was really good for a subset. And so there are some very clever people right now going back through these trials, finding those potentially promising candidates and are trying to determine what's an appropriate fit for that molecule. Understood. So trying to repurpose the good data that maybe didn't make it all the way to the finish line, but there's some insights that you can use. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. And, and Ryan, I think you brought up a few things that might definitely warrant other conversations. Um, so I think we should leave it here for the moment and um, let our audience know that that's all the time we have for today. And we hope you found this conversation relevant and informative. If you're not a subscriber already, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our next episode, we're going to discuss environmental impacts of healthcare industries, maybe single-use uh, products, plastics, and um, the emissions and the carbon footprint. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.